something was wrong. I, I didn't know what it was at first, but as I was dishing out the pancakes that I so loved to make for my children for many years when they were younger, something seemed off. Like the, they were crumbling as I put them on the plate. They weren't exactly holding together as I was cooking them. It looked okay when I was stirring them, but wow, what was going on? I wasn't sure. And then as I'm looking through and thinking through my process, which I can so easily forget, I realized what it was. I didn't put the eggs in it. You know what I'm saying? They were gone. One single thing and the whole pancake wasn't going to hold together. All that I had made, all that batter was just not gluing together. And it's interesting because if we lose ingredients, even in the church, if we lose out on ingredients that are necessary for us to rebuild churches, it isn't going to hold together. In fact, that's exactly what we're looking at in this book of 1 Timothy right now. That 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at it today, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. The Apostle Paul is writing a leadership letter to Timothy, his protege. And as we've been saying, where the leader goes, so goes the congregation. And so Timothy has been called to deal with some false teaching in the church. And he's been told, as you do this, keep your faith. And here's how. Number one, we need to pray. But number two, we need to have a global focus of outreach as well as a local. And so keeping these two things in mind, Paul calls Timothy now to the proper order of the church, the right ingredients to come together so that the church is actually robust and ready to go. Now, What's interesting is that what he's going to tell us today very clearly over and over, and in fact, and through the next chapter even, is that men, listen to me, and I'm talking about the men in the church, you men must take part or the church will fall apart, right? Men, you got to take part or the church will fall apart. Men must take part. If you don't hear me, then the church is going to fall apart. And this Timothy and Paul are going to, Paul is going to get deeply into to wake Timothy up to the necessity of the order in the church, which leads me to one small caveat. We are about to go into the most controversial text in the last 60 years of the Bible. At 1 Timothy, as you're turning there to chapter 2, verse 8 through 14, again, I want you guys to remember that what we're about to dive into is going to rankle your modern feathers, right? You are going to be uncomfortable. You're going to want to click the angry emoji on Facebook or whatever. You're going to want to send comments and emails. Listen, I get it. But what you're dealing with is not what you see. And it's going to take us the next two sermons, next two weeks to unpack everything in this text. And it may not land in the way that you want it to. But I want to tell you, the point is still the same. No matter how we look at this, as you open to that text, you're probably already reading it because you're like, what in the world does this say? It's time to tell you that men must take part or the church will fall apart. And so we say, okay, well, what do we mean by men? Men is such a controversial subject nowadays, right? Not, not for the church. Look, in the church, God created male and female. He created them as different and very distinct people, biologically, emotionally, spirit, not spiritually. We are all equal, right? We're made in the image of God. I need to clarify all this. There is perfect equal value. A woman is in the image of God. A man is in the image of God. But that doesn't mean that they're not distinct and different in their biology. Yes, even therefore in some of their abilities and in their roles. Now, as we hear that, you're going to be like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, again, this is what we're going to get into, the most controversial text in the Bible. 
Included in this conversation though, is I need to tell you about something called the bell curve. You're like, what are we talking about? This is a psychological terminology. And if you were to show like an axis, you would have a curve up and a curve down where on each side is the uh, beyond the norms. Now remember, what we mean by norms is 95 to 98% of the population or at least 65% of the population falls within a certain set of normal attitudes and behaviors that are shared by the whole group. So when we talk about men, we're talking about the center of that bell curve. We're talking about what's most common in men. And every illustration I may use, you could be like, well, I know a guy who's, well, yeah, they fall outside of the bell curve, but we're not going to make that the norm when the evidence points to a normality in the middle, and that's what's most common. So we're going to point to that most common, and yes, God understands that there are things outside of the norm, but God calls men and women to be men and women, and um, that doesn't mean they have to act in the norm all the time, but they're still men and women. So let's just make that clear real quick because we have a confusing culture on this as we dive into this very tense subject, because the bottom line, as we're going to say it again, is men must take part or the church will fall apart. When it comes to rebuilding the church, when it comes to getting the church right and all the ingredients in there so things don't crumble, we got to have men who take part or the church will fall apart. So how should men take part? Well, first and foremost, we're told men should take part in prayer. Notice how this begins in verse number eight. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. There it is. He wants us to pray, lifting holy hands. Now, I get it. Right away, a lot of people, and men particularly, feel, and I'm going to use that word feel, like prayer is a very feminine thing. Because our culture has turned prayer into a touchy-feely, centering thing that is about your emotions, and it's not that at all. And most men, while you're not verbal and you're not ready to have a conversation, again, in that bell curve, some of you guys love to talk, I get that. When it comes to God, you feel like you're supposed to be a pastor, a preacher, somebody who does his long exhortation before God and all this wonderful words and stuff while you're praying in front of your family. And, and so you feel like, I can't pray if that's what prayer is about. I'm a simple guy. I say things straightforwardly. I don't need to get complicated. I feel like I can't pray. That seems like for a verbal person, whatever. But you know what? That's not what God said. God didn't tell you how you had to pray. He said that we should pray, that we should be a people gathered together to pray. So what do you got a one-sentence prayer? So what you got? Short, choppy bits. Maybe you like to use these and those and Lord. That's fine. You have a relationship with your God. Have one at least. Don't use excuses. Take responsibility and pray because prayer is called to the men. And we men are called to pray. It's part of our job, part of us helping to rebuild the church. If we excuse that as, as a womanly thing or something else, which it's not, then we're going to miss it out. In fact, I want to reorient you. If you're a guy and you, you've struggled with prayer, if you're not, then this isn't for you, but if you struggled with prayer, I want you to retune your mind into an understanding that prayer is not just talking to God, as we've said. It's also asking for supply, right? It's asking for provision. If you want to put it in a battle mentality, as many times the Bible does, it tells you guys, hey, you need to connect with your commander for the supply line. You are the provider of the home. You need to ask God to help you in the provision. You need to ask him for the daily bread. 
Man, that's, uh, that's something where you're asking, God, come in here. You need to go and remember that Jesus told us to say, God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a spiritual battle prayer. That is a prayer against temptation. That is a prayer over your family that the enemy, the spiritual forces of this world who wants to lie and cause you to sin, pull you down, make your life destroyed, give you into the world so that it, it gives its promises. And while you may be wealthy and healthy and happy and all that stuff, you're miserable inside and headed to hell. Man, we need to be praying praying for our loved ones, praying for those around us. And I don't care if they're short, simple prayers. Hey, God, save my neighbor. Boom. God knows your heart. He knows what you're talking about. You don't have to be long about it. And that's coming from a preacher who's long about it, right? So, okay, I want you guys to understand that prayer is something we're called to. And so I just want to just, just start here, guys. Take five minutes. Take ten minutes every day. Get down on your knees or pull your hands up, or talk to God, and just say, God, need your help. God, here's the things we need. God, protect my family. God, get me ready for my day, and just be simple. Put it in the context that works for you. But the bottom line is, men, when we're calling out for prayer, we need to be there. We need to be a part of it. If the church is going to reassemble, we need to be the ones ready to stand up and pray over other people. Be them simple prayers, complex prayers, or what? So, Encouragement number one, because if the bottom line for us here, guys, is that men must take part or the church will fall apart. And so what I want you to understand then is that men, if you're going to take part, then take care not to abuse your power in church. Notice again how Paul warned men in their prayer. He said here in verse 8, I desire that, every, that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Years ago, I had to see a counselor just for some issues. My wife and I went up north because of some stuff and work and all kinds of things at home. And we gathered with this counselor and we had a chance to talk. It was an awesome experience in some ways because he was able to tell us a lot about the emotional set of men. You see, it's very clear. Men have a very simple set of emotions. The number one emotion we feel is anger. The number two emotion that we feel is anger. And the number three emotion that we feel is anger. And he said, listen, for the vast majority of men, remember bell curve men, right? The vast majority of men, anger is the only emotion we often feel. If you're irritated, you're angry. If you're sad, you're angry. Don't ask me about it. If you're just, you know, bored, you're angry. Anger is the mask for the emotions of the majority of men. When we disagree with you, man, we're angry. We have a power and an assertive aggression about ourselves that is very powerful in many men. And in many men, it goes overboard. In fact, in the ancient world, where this kind of concept of men fighting men and battling each other, it was very clear that men were going to be these kind of people who are aggressive, and they were going to use their power to gain power. The bottom line here is that Paul is telling Timothy, hey, don't allow men's power, their physical and their verbal aggression, to become that which becomes quarreling, becomes fighting. So we're supposed to be gathering together in prayer. We're gathering together in the church to rebuild this church without anger, without fighting. This is a very, very masculine, very man-centered issue because we even talk about it today in the terms of toxic masculinity. 
See, when men vent their anger, when men get into using their power, namely their muscles and their aggression and their testosterone level, we enter into an abusive form of the use of that power. And that can show up in verbal abuse, physical abuse, and spiritual abuse in churches and in homes. And here's the thing, that kind of abuse that has been a very large portion of our ancient society and our modern society is what fuels so many women to not want to be able to allow a man to be a man, to have a certain level of aggression, to have a certain level of strength. It's also why my wife can teach a class to a bunch of junior hires and they think that men and women are equally strong. Oh yeah, a, man can, a woman can run just as fast as a man. She can lift as just as much as a man if you got a really, if they really worked out. No, physiologically that's impossible. Men are endowed with a massive amount of strength. We are very, very different in our physical prowess. Take the weakest woman and the weakest man, he'll still be far more powerful than the woman. Take the strongest man and the strongest woman, and already you're going to see that there is a gap that is physiological and impossible to overcome. It is our power. It is what God has granted men. We need to control it. It is not something that we use in the middle of our prayer life and our leadership life to use for power. We're not going to argue and fight our way into victory. No, we are supposed to be a people of self-control. We're a people of gentleness, meaning our power in control. And so when we think of these things, guys, I want to challenge you. We have to be a people who are indeed using our power rightly or our prayers will be hindered. In fact, so much of this is in the background of the Bible. Even Peter gets into it in his letter to the church. He says this. He tells them, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And right now, I know you may have cringed as a woman. Listen, that's talking about strength. He has the capacity as a strong man to harm you. He says, look, this is about abuse. Since they're heirs with you in the grace of God, they're your equal. How dare you use your strength to hurt them? And if you do, your prayers can be hindered. He says, live in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. She may infuriate you. You may get angry. You may just be a man who's out of control, off the Richter scale, chauvinist, toxic, masculine, and you're ready to pound, fight, and just do whatever you can to get your way. Your prayers are not going to be heard. It's no wonder that when Paul says to lift our hands with holy hands, that he's calling men to take control of their powerful, passionate aggression, not to gain power in this world, not to use it for their own abilities, but so that their prayers are not hindered. So the challenge for us today in these uncomfortable words is to call us to be a people who are joining into the church in prayer but in control of our powerful passion. That doesn't mean passive. That means men being men, but in control and not using it to control. Now, understanding that then we get to the point that, hey guys, if we're going to rebuild the church, that men must take part or the church is going to fall apart. And the way that you and I are going to take part, men, is that we need to take part in the teaching in the church. All right, here we're about to dive into the very, very controversial segment. So hold your horses and, 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 and lean in a little bit because everyone's going to be uncomfortable. Okay, I'm just teaching what the Bible's telling us. Here we go. So God inspired Paul to write. And so we see this idea right here that men are to take part in the teaching of the church. We start off verse 
9. He says, likewise, also that women should adorn themselves, sorry, verse 10, but with what is proper for women to profess godliness with good works, verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And right there, we're like, oh my gosh, I am super uncomfortable with what you just read. <laughs> yes, I'm super uncomfortable with preaching it because of our culture. Now, let me start here. I'm not going to address the woman's side of this issue until next week. And so I understand that these words have been misused to call every woman on the planet to submit to every man in the church. And we're going to find out real quickly that's not what this is saying. In fact, what this is talking about is notice the term, let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness. Let, you know, they're not to teach. This whole thing is about being in a setting of being taught. This is unheard of in the ancient world. If you'd sat in any Roman school, it would all be men learning rhetoric and politics. Women weren't put in official schooling situations with men. If they learned anything, it was at their home with each other by their mom, and they were trained in you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, the, the basics. Moms were often the teachers. But when it came to the official educational world, women weren't found in those. When it came to rabbis, and if you were to go into the rooms where there was all of the, all the men listening to Jesus, it would have been only men. Maybe some women were listening outside. But the bottom line is they separated the women and the men in these scenarios for the fact that women were allowed in the room to learn is a revolution. And what it was saying is that men, you need to teach everyone, including women. Teach everybody. This is revolutionary. All women and all men get to be disciples of Jesus. Don't eliminate them. Don't separate them out into the other side of the room so that they're in their spot. No, we need to allow them a chance to learn. And so men were called to do something they were never done before and were uncomfortable with in their culture, and that was to teach women. Now, we'll get into how this all applies. But the bottom line is for men in this subject, that means that we were to teach everyone and not discriminate in our teachings of the Word of God. Guys, when we teach, when the leadership teaches, we are not to eliminate some because of their, because of their sex, because of the fact that they're a woman. And so, hey, th this is important because are you men able to teach? I find that in our church, women are more ready to go and ready to learn than, than most men. And it's because they're ready. They're sitting down. They're taking note. They're, they're ready to jump in. They're ready to engage. And I find this fascinating because um, in, in the ancient world, men were already indoctrinated in how to learn, to sit submissively under a teacher and to quietly learn. It was an auditory environment where they didn't have pencils and papers to take notes. That stuff's not invented for hundreds and hundreds of years. You had to listen carefully, memorizing what they were saying, taking it in to understand just through your ears. And so as you're sitting there, it needed to be quiet. It needed to be where you're listening in attention. And so these men had been doing this, and women were going to be trained in doing this as well. And so now as we're sitting there, everybody's listening and learning. But let me ask you a question, guys, just real quick. You're watching this. Do you have a notepad out? Are you taking notes? Are you going to walk away thinking, man, I got this. I'm memorizing this, right? Boom. Are you really leaning in to learn? 
Or has this become something to do, something to get emotionally energized about and walk away from? Are you engaging like a learner? Now, that doesn't mean you need to take notes and write stuff. Some of you can't in the sense that that's not your learning style. Some of you are auditory. You're picking it up. But some of you are even visual and, and you need an object or you need some other lesson. You need to use your hands, your kinesthetic. I'd rather pound something and build something and then I'll know what to do. Absolutely. You need to know how you learn and then you need to figure out how to learn what we're talking about when we get into the Word of God. Because some of you are going to be visual, some of you are going to be auditory, some of you are going to be able to write and read it. And the bottom line is this, if you will engage all of your senses as best as you can, you will be a learner. Men, women alike. Just are you attentive and are you coming ready to learn or are you just coming to get through the day? Are you coming to engage? I, you'll find when I'm not preaching, I'm always with a notebook. Why? Because I want to learn. I don't care who's on that stage. I am here to submit myself in listening to what is being discussed from the Word of God. Sometimes so I can correct the teacher, but sometimes, because I'm, they're learning under me, but sometimes because, man, what they say, the Holy Spirit's nailing me with. And I want to remember it, and I want to use it, and I want to write it down. And so are we coming to learn? Because at some level, you're going to have to teach. At some level, you're going to step in. But real quick, I want you to understand this teaching is also attached to something else. It's attached to the other thing that men are supposed to do as men take part so that the church doesn't fall apart. And what is that? Well, it's that men will take the lead. You're like, okay, now we're really stepping on toes here. Again, let's go back and look. You know, let a woman learn quietly with submissiveness. I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. What does this mean for men? That means that Paul is saying, men, you need to teach and exercise authority. Not with abuse, not with power. We already covered that. Not using our, our, our chauvin and like, hey, look at me, I'm a man. <laughs> no, 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 no. Guess what? This, this verse, again, has been misused over and over and over to say women are to be submissive to men. Uh-uh. This verse means that everyone in the church, women included, are to be submissive to the men who are exercising authority and teaching. Did you notice that? Leadership is supposed to be done by men, but not to be abusive and controlling, and to be in the hands of a specific group. It's no wonder when it comes to that abuse of controlling side, which I think most people fear from male leadership, and, and rightly so, and because of our fallen nature, Jesus rebukes us. In fact, he had his disciples with him, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They try to control people, and their great ones exercise authority over them. There's this whole system of control and, and gaining money and power it says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be the great would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as, here's our word, a ransom for many. We covered ransom last week. It's going to be a cost. And the cost of leadership and the cost of leading in your home, the cost of leading in a church, guys, is service and self-sacrifice over and over and over. Can I make this absolutely clear? It is not to use your power to gain control. It's use your power to serve at the maximum capacity that you can. To care and to serve and to give what you have to other people and to leave with an, lead with an authority as you are a ransom, as you are giving yourself over to serve like Christ served, not to lord over people. It's not a position of power. It's a position of humility. That's what Jesus is saying. How fast can you race to the bottom? 
And so when we see this, look, we, that means leadership is a serving leadership. That means leadership is to build trust. One thing I have noted about the majority of men is that they are very centered on male things. I've ran enough youth ministry, I've done enough men's events that I don't care what you say. If a women get together and they do some fun, cool thing that's very womanly, uh, I rarely meet a man who's like, man, I really wanted to go to that, uh, that quilting group. Like, I don't meet men who do that. But if I do like a paintballing thing or I get out there and we do some, you know, some shoot gun thing with men, invariably I'll have 12, 13 women who are like, uh, why can't we go with you? You know, because there is something about women that understand men differently than men understand women. And if men don't stop, turn, look in, and serve and understand women, we're not going to lead well. Because leadership isn't just going off where you want to go. Leadership is setting out after you've listened so that people can follow. And I believe what God is doing here is calling men to leadership so that, and, a, and a servant leadership so that we become people aware of more than ourselves, aware of more than our driven, direction-oriented living that often men get caught into where we're going to charge them out and take down that thing and kill that deer or whatever it is. And we need to stop, look back, and go, are we coming along? Is this, you know, I want to make sure we're good. I'm here to protect. We're here to work together. It's understanding leadership. And that's critical that we're going to lead. It's not abusive. You follow me. How dare you not listen to me? Kind of. No, no, that's not the leadership of Jesus. It is a servant-oriented leadership in the home, in the church. And as God has said, men, you need to lead. This is the kind of level that we need to lead, not with abusive controllingness, but with a particular kind. But look at the verse again, because these two terms are tied together, teaching and exercising authority. And those are bound together in a certain group, and we would call that group elders. See, not all men are going to exercise authority in the church. Not all men are teaching the church. Only a subgroup of men, and that subgroup is found here in chapter 3. That group, called elders, overseers, and pastors, are the leaders of the church. And at Olive Branch, that is the only ministry, the only part of the entire church that is only for men. That's it, because that is their particular role, to lead in that direction. Every other role is available for women in the church. Every other role is there as disciples to be used. But God granted that one particular leadership role of elder and senior pastor to men who are willing to live out in a particular way this ransom service mindset that Jesus has called us to. And this role is in particular given to men because I think it corrects men in a very particular way. I've noticed amongst men, if we're not living in our role, we are totally willing to go be boys. We're totally willing to allow women to run things and us to go play. We're totally willing to allow women to, to, to mommy and deal with us in particular ways and us to simply relax. In fact, in my short pull of time periods over the years, when I've asked about uh, a man willing to follow a woman in spiritual authority, not in work authority, not in business and stuff like that, but in spiritual authority, the vast majority of men tell me it feels like I'm being mommied. And that, that may be shocking for women. And you may be like, that's horrible. How can men say that? It's just, can, can we just pause here for a minute? It's just the natural reaction for most men to feel like, why are you mothering me? I want to be a man. Let me, let me grow up and, and do this thing. And, and I believe God knew in the heart of men they needed to be forward and lead. But he also knew that there was a danger. And so he designed it so that we would be a servant-oriented leadership. 
that concerned and want to put other people before them and not be about their own thing, to understand and guide forward. And then he understood that this is in the church needs to be solidified in a particular group. And so it was only in the elders and pastors, senior pastor, that is that is where we've limited it. Because otherwise, the gifts are available, the roles are there. But this is specifically the section that I believe is most controversial, but at Olive Branch, this is how it sits. And so women are called, yeah, just like men are called, to submit to their leadership. In fact, that's what it says in in Hebrews, obey your leaders and submit to them. This is men and women alike. For they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have given account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I don't believe Timothy is being told to tell women anything different than he would have told the men. You're supposed to obey your leaders. He was just making it clear. In the church, the leadership are the men. Men, you need to submit to your leaders. Guys, that's why you're not supposed to argue and quarrel. This isn't about a debate whether you know more than your pastor or you know more than your elders. This is a time where we need to realize that your elders are men who have volunteered their time to this church. They don't get paid. We have right now five men who are are elders in our church. I'm included in those, but four of these Volunteer men are giving their life every Tuesday night to spend hours on end after a hard-working day to put policies and govern and pray over the church. They are constantly during the week talking over, over the internet with, the, with each other. We're praying for you. We're connecting. And your elders throughout the history of Olive Branch have been dedicated as volunteers to serving everyone here. And I think we need to honor them. And these are the men that you see right there. I hope that you're seeing them on the screen right now. Note these men. Pray for these men. Understand that they're carrying the heavy load of the church, even in this last year. And they have to make difficult decisions and difficult scenarios. Pray for them. Honor them. Because these are the men God's called us to submit to and walk with in leadership. And the bottom line is, guys, there is a leadership on you if you're a father, if you're, a ho- owner, if you're over a house. And you go like, well, what do you mean there? Well, very clearly, um, the elders are kind of known because they manage their own household well. In fact, talking about elders, he says, he must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive for someone does. uh, And this is the point. If someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And the point here is that as men know how to lead spiritually their family, as men know how to protect and guide their family in a very different scenario in the ancient world than is today, but there's still that role which is different than your function, you know, how what your you know, your value, it's not a value comment here. It's a role comment. Then we need to do this. You get it this way. He is saying, "Listen, in the home, somebody's got to play the point guard and somebody's got to play the center." If you don't know basketball, you got to understand the cor- in football, the quarterback can't be the receiver. Everything has to work together. And if one person tries to be the other at the same time, it doesn't work. The roles, however, are given directly. And they are there on purpose because what God has called these men to is to lead in the family. And we've seen actually in this situation that as men lead in the house, it changes things. In fact, the percentages are pretty clear. Um, When they've done the studies, if a father and a mother both believe 80% of the time their children will follow Christ. If the father is the only one that's going, 50% of the time the children will follow Christ. If it's just the mom, it's 20% of the time. And I don't understand why that works except that that's how God designed the world. 
And so I want to challenge you guys. Men, wake up. Get involved. Become a part of your spiritual life in your house. Become a part of leading people in prayer and, and teaching the Word of God in your home because that's where it begins. I know, ladies, many of you are doing it on your own. Thank you because you always step in in leadership when men fail in their positions. You do. And that should be honored. And I believe God will honor it. And that doesn't mean that you don't have to lead Bible studies. That means you don't. And the other hard thing is, and this is a side note, um, you know, women often, when we get into premarital counseling, we'll ask them, hey, you know, who's the spiritual leader in the home? And in the marriage counseling, the, the man, they often all point to the woman. It's like, she, she leads us. It's like, yes, that's true. But is that a decided thing? Are you allowing each other to work as gifted? Because God's going to hold you, sir, as the leader. And she may be doing the work. So she's going to be honored and you're going to be nailed. And so this is, don't, don't, ladies, don't give up. And don't tell your husband how they should lead. But allow them the space so they can begin to get their chops going and begin to work, so they can pray. Because, guys, the bottom line is this. In the church, men must take part of the church. It's going to fall apart. Right? It's going to fall apart. So what do we do? We need to take responsibility. Men must take responsibility, ultimately. And that's what I'm really landing on here. See, that's where Paul winds up here at the very end of everything. He says, For Adam was formed first. And then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. And so we'll, this is all just a quick summation of what happened in paradise. Before there was a fall, before there was sin, Adam was formed first. And the way the Hebrews understood this is that God worked into the very warp and woof of, of reality that men were to be leading. God communicated them, allowed him to name the animals. There's no woman around yet. Then he brought a woman, and she was her... And she was his helpmate. That's a terminology that's not degrading. It's actually powerful. It was realizing a man couldn't do it alone. He couldn't run things by himself only. He needed the woman as well. It's sort of like understanding what good is a plug without the power supply. And if those don't match, there is going to be no energy. And so what we have is man and woman come together to produce the beautiful energy, but the male was first and therefore Adam was the lead. And so what happened then when he, when she was deceived and Adam didn't fall in line and correct and guide, but fell under the leadership of his wife and everything started to fall apart because Adam didn't take responsibility. In fact, what Adam did is he blamed his wife. Oh, I didn't do it. Your wife gave me, and she did this. No, I can't. Do it. And that all of creation fell apart. So the bottom line here isn't to condemn women. The bottom line here was to remind Timothy, you know, that it's Adam who is the one that condemned humanity, not Eve. Sure, Eve was deceived, but it's Adam's fault. He receives the responsibility throughout the scripture. Eve never gets the blame. Yeah. She became a transgressor, but she didn't plummet humanity in. Adam did. And this is important to note. Regardless of what we think about who should be in the roles and all that kind of stuff, it appears in the Scripture over and over and over again from the creation all the way through the end that, men, you are ultimately going to be called for what you did in the responsibility for your homes and the church. Now, that doesn't mean every man that you're going to be a leader. But if you are married and you're over a family, you are a leader of your home. 
And if you are a man and you are of the, of the right kind of character, we should be teaching and leading in the church. And they have found churches with high percentages of men leading and being involved, they grow every time. Now, the problem, however, is that if we get abusive, we end up in these messes. If we stop engaging because women will step in because you guys know that the home needs to be ordered and men need to be called to it. And so, men, I'm calling you. Take responsibility. Take responsibility for the church. Take responsibility for your home because God's already going to hold you responsible. You see, the bottom line is men, we've got to take part or the church will fall apart. Just like me forgetting to put the eggs in, if men don't show up, there's not going to be a cohesion. There's not going to be a glue. And it's going to be the same for women next week, but it's going to be in their place, in their situation, in their space as women. Our space as men is this one. This is the challenge I have. I know it's controversial. I know it's been difficult to listen to, but men, I'm calling you out. Step up. If you're looking around going, why don't we have a men's ministry? Start it. Hey man, why don't we have a small group? Make it happen. Take responsibility. See that God has laid into your lap an opportunity to take a step of faith and he'll meet you. Start devotions in your home. Step up and start fighting off that pornography and those issues in your life. Take responsibility. Start praying. Start leading. Start teaching and learning. Get out the notepad. Get yourself moving. Take responsibility because it's already yours. Now, I know that's challenging. I hope you stuck out with me. But I want to pray right now over our, over our men. Next week, we're going to come back. We're going to address how these passages apply for women and, and in the church and how it's a beautiful cohesion that comes out as we rebuild the church. So let me pray over you men right now that are watching. Father, for the men who are here, for the I just ask that you would help us to take that responsibility. Your word says that we need to be those who are engaged and ready to go. And God, we're to be learning, that we're to be those taking lead. We're supposed to be stepping out and consider it. God, for those who are struggling in abuse, I pray that they would repent. God, that they would turn around and that they would get help and go see counseling. God, for those who are not praying, I pray that you would help them enter into prayer. For God, those who become so passive that they're not stepping into their leadership, I pray that you would move them back and they would repent of that passivity and step into their responsibility. In these ways, God, that we would bring the egg back into this batter so that you would be exalted. God, thank you for the men in our church who are living out the calling that you've given to them, the role that you've placed at their feet. God, thank you for those who are elders. Thank you for those who are leading ministries. Thank you for those, God, who are... Um, who are being responsible in their home life, in their own life, to be disciples of you. God, make us greater disciples of you today. Call us up. Enable us to follow you so we may love you, live for you, and share you wherever we go. God, we want you to be known. Help us to do so. Amen. Well, Branch, hey, thank you for joining us if you're still with us and uh, you enjoyed this message. Hey, share it with somebody you know or get into a conversation about it online. It's great. If you're new with us, you're probably going to have some questions or be interested in uh, kind of who we are and why we believe what we believe. Uh, tell us about that and let us connect with you. You can simply text the word NEW to the number at the bottom of the screen, 
and we will get a hold of you as you get a hold of us and we'll begin this conversation and relationship. This is our way online of wherever you're at in the States, making sure that you can become part of the community here at Olive Branch and we can all work together. Hey, but you're already part of Olive Branch. You're watching online, you're into this and you're discussing with friends and family or maybe you're ready to have a conversation. We are trying to help you guys start some groups. Maybe you need to take a next step. In fact, coming up in our uh, in our group series, we're gonna be going back through a series called Wannabe, you heard about that. And it's gonna be about this, the fruit of the spirit in our lives, becoming the kind of people we want to be in this particular culture, in this particular time at the beginning of this year. If you would like to take a next step, you can simply uh, let us know. Go to obcc.group and you can find all the information to start a group with a couple of friends, maybe one couple that you feel safe with. Maybe it's a neighbor, but you can start right there. Get into some great conversations, begin a journey together into spiritual maturity and see what God is going to do. Maybe you'd like to take another step in one of our spiritual path on our spiritual pathway discipleship journey. Check that out all here again at obcc.group. Hey, we're glad you are joining us. We pray that you've been challenged today and we'd submit ourselves to God's word so that he would be glorified. I hope that you'll be back next week as we dive in again and take a look at some assembly required for the church. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.